If you're all there, say amen. If you need more time, say hold up. I am verse 30 to 31, Isaiah chapter 40. I am reading from the ESV version, in case you're on your phone. English standard, my favorite. <laughs> or whatever version you got us by. Good, good. Are we all there? Still need more time? Okay, I'll give you guys some time. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Comes right after. It's okay, you can use your table of contents. Feel free. I still do that to get to a place like Haggai and whatnot. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. As my friends, my brothers would say. So if we're all there, would somebody like to read Isaiah 40, 30 to 31? Mm-hmm. English Standard Version. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 32 and 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Amen. Well, look over to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Where is your strength? Thank you. This passage, I heard it first when um, I was watching this movie called Remember the Titans out in T.C. Williams. And there's this scene where this guy, it's called Rev. And this other really big guy, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, and there's, they're in a gym. And the big guy is telling Rev, you know, Rev, what's that line you always tell me when I'm not trying to do my homework? I'm struggling with it, and everything is really difficult. And he starts singing this, right? And it's probably the coolest verse I've ever seen. And then I was like, well, what is this thing? Where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? And it's coming from right here, Isaiah 40, 30 to 31. And... What blows my mind about this so much is just that there's so many antithesis to it, right? There's so many different things that you see stuff like run and not be weary. That sounds weird, right? Walk and not faint. That's odd. But the part that I want to focus on for a short time today is on the verse 31. It says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. What do we know about eagles? Feel free to share. What do we know about eagles? They go really high uh-huh. and they kind of just like glide over there. They go really high and they glide, yeah. right? Yeah. Anybody know how high they go? Hmm? I didn't know before today, so it's okay. Anybody can take a guess. Feet-wise. A hundred feet? 20 feet, 120 feet. Hey, 120 feet, dude, they haven't gotten anywhere. No? 800? Okay, multiply that by 10, and then add 2,000. It goes high as almost 10,000 feet in the air. Right? So why would God use this word, an eagle, this bird? The eagle, brothers and sisters, is probably one of the most powerful Animals of flight that there is. Sounds a bit better? Hello? Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I want to talk about today how vision and patience go hand in hand. Vision and patience go hand in hand. When we are on the ground, we can only see trees. Imagine we're in a forest, right? In that forest, the most you can see when you're on that ground is just the trees here, the trees there, trees all around you. But then, when you mount up like an eagle, what do you then see? You see everything. You see what's in the far corners of the forest, each and every single place. You see what's down, you see every single thing around. Why is that important? Because when we can hover above in this, in this time, in this instance, our situation, 
we can see the full picture. God allows us to see the full picture when we wait upon him. God shows us the full picture when we dwell in him and say that, God, we will wait on you and he shows us the right path to go. There is a danger to not mounting up. There's a danger to not waiting. And that danger is that you don't know what's on the other side. The challenge is that the secret to renewing your strength is to wait on God. The secret to renew your strength is to wait on God. Sounds easy, right? Just wait on God. God, don't do it. Your wave isn't, right? Depends on what you're waiting for, I guess. Depends on what you're waiting for, right? Yeah, the other day I was in the the Chick-fil-A line and it didn't take, that wasn't a long wait. It wasn't a long wait. Hmm? It was, but they were so nice, you can't be mad at them, right? It's like, enjoy, have a wonderful day, God bless you. Like, man, I love you guys. Don't need to open on Sundays, it's it's okay, we'll let that one go. But, I'm going to talk about reasons why we don't wait then, right? Maybe you guys want to kind of point some of those out. Reasons why we don't wait, or it's so hard for us to wait, right? Depending on whatever it is that you're waiting for. Any thoughts? Immediate gratification. Ooh, I like that. I like that. So immediate gratification. Let me write that down. I'm taking notes. Dude. I'm learning here. Mm-hmm. We got. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Oh, please go ahead. First one is sometimes we are not sure how to wait. Mm. We don't. We sometimes how like when I say I'm waiting, am I having the right type of expectation? Am I doing the right thing? So if I'm not even sure how to wait, or even what I'm really waiting for, because sometimes we don't even hear God, we just expect something without even knowing His mind about it. So when we're waiting in anything that seems to be close to the opportunity that we're looking for, we tend to jump on it. So sometimes I think we don't, don't know how to wait. Thank you. I love that answer. And the reason why I love that answer is because it's baked in here somehow when we get to it. So how to wait, what to do, how to go about that. Reason number one. There are three things, three, things that I, three reasons that I want to talk through with you guys today of why we don't wait. And that reason number one is that we want the things of God, but we do not ultimately want God for God. We don't realize that anything we want apart from God is temporary. But God is not our source of happiness. He's not our anchor. And that's the reason why it's so tough at times to wait. And... I want, I want to kind of show you guys that a little bit. And I'm a, I'm a very visual learner. You guys will learn that real quick. If any of you guys that know. So I'm going to show you something. I can't draw, though, to save my life. But bear with me, okay? I'm just going to use this as an example just to kind of illustrate to you guys what goes on within our mind and how to really real, notice that and, and, and change that around. Amen? Amen. All right, so. Oh, sure. So, 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 so helpful. Everybody give this man a clap it off for him. Clap it off. Clap it for me. Clap, clap. <laughs> I took two. I'm not going to hold one. I'll use one eventually. Alrighty. Alright, guys. So, I've got this big old poster board here, okay? Now, what I'm going to show you is that I kind of like numbers, too. Anybody like numbers? Nope. No, uh, you like numbers? All right, I got you, my girl. As long this time, as it's money. Right, I got you. Huh? Yeah. You if like it's numbers? Money, as long as if it's money, yeah. I do like dollar bills as well. Actually, these days, give me some pounds or something. Put my Euro. euros. Euro. Yes. Or euros. Oh, you want to hold the board? No, I think it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Thank you. So, all right. So I want to show you, kind of walk you through happiness, right? Just using some numbers. And showing you what the anchor truly is 
I had to go about that. So let's say that you are the numerator, right? Everybody remember math? You numerator. I hate, you, I hate right. math. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have any other. So this is it. Mediator. So you have your numerator. You are number one. All right, numero uno. And then every, that also always has a denominator, right? So let's say your denominator is also one. All right, so your base is one. This is your foundation. This is your source. This is your anchor. This is everything that you find joy in. Okay? Now, assuming that I said that earlier, that anything that you have your joy and your foundation in that is not God, that is all temporary. So if it's temporary, that means that it's going to go from one to what? To zero, right? So let's try out some numbers, right? So one divided, so one divided by one, we get what? All right, one divided by 0 0.01 is what? Come on, friends. 10. 10, all right, 10, 10. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then, let's try it again. One divided by 0 0.00, but it's getting smaller, right? 100. It doesn't make sense. The number is getting lower, but my happiness level is getting higher. Isn't that odd? I'm, I don't even notice that this thing is going down there. Can I even notice that my base and my source is going away? If my happiness just keeps on jumping? And then something crazy happens in the end. Anybody, this might be a trick question. Undefined. Thank you. Undefined. You put it in your calculator, you get an error. 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 So at this stage of error is what I like to call rock bottom. Rock bottom cafe. Rock bottom cafe, where you have hit rock bottom. When you put your trust in anything else that is not Jesus Christ, you will eventually hit rock bottom and you won't even notice it. You feel like you could drive in more joy. Let me keep at this thing, not realizing that it's gonna ruin you in the end. Does this make sense? How are you putting this, guys? Yeah. Let me know if you have any questions. As the anchor decreases, right, we're getting the illusion that our happiness is increasing. But we don't realize the illusion until that happiness value drops from a thousand all the way down to error. Alright? So, that is why many go from being on top of the world to miserable in an instant. Because what we derived our happiness in is no longer there. So, I'll bring this back in a bit. But I want to make a case then. And I want to make the case for Christ. Is that in all of this, as our happiness level is dwindling, it's going down and down, there is good news. Who knows what the good news is? Hmm? Else. I want to hear it in your words. What, what is the good news? Well, I think when you hit rock bottom, mm -hmm. the Bible calls him the rock of our salvation. Mm -hmm. So, in essence, it will come to a point when you hit rock bottom, you realize the things that did bring you happiness are not, as, are not fulfilling that, that void anymore. Mm -hmm. The only other person that will be present, the only other, the other thing you will identify that will will be able to hold you is that rock. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. That's perfect. I love that. Thank you. God bless you all. Like the good news of Jesus Christ. God sent his son, came into this world to not only die for us, but to teach us how to live, pay the sacrifice that we deserve to pay, but we cannot pay, for we are of unclean hands and unclean lips. How can we possibly pay and save ourselves? 
So he who knew no sin came into this world as the propitiation and the expiation for our sins. What is the propitiation of our sins? Is that God holds that Jesus Christ holds back the wrath of God. We have wronged God, and God's wrath on us is just. Each and every single one of us. So Jesus Christ comes and says, Let me let, let me hold off that wrath. If the wrath is coming from God, Jesus Christ is holding back that wrath. That's what's known as the, the propitiation for our sins. But then one awesome thing also happens is that God is the, Jesus Christ serves as the expiation for our sins. And that expiation for our sins basically means that he takes away the guilt of our sins. Beloved, sometimes when we do wrong and we mess up, it can take an instant to mess up. But then the guilt, the guilt can live with you on and on and on and on for years and years and decades, even. But Christ is saying you don't have to live that way. And there's a different way. That all that guilt is gone. Clearly don't abuse grace. I'm by no way saying abuse grace, but know that the guilt is gone and that you are a new creation. And that is the good news because there's nothing else on this earth, there's no one else on this earth that can do that for you. For some of you guys who are, are still aren't too sure, how can God be the, Jesus Christ be the source? Like, he just came 2,000 something years ago. I want to prove to you that he's always been there. If you'll jump with me to Genesis chapter 1. This one, this one you guys got to be quick. It's right in the beginning. <laughs> First book. Scroll right to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 11. <laughs> this is where it's easier when you have the, the actual book, right? Yes, Genesis 1 verse 11 to 15. Someone would like to read for us. Hmm? Oh, that's fine. King James is fine too, yes. It's pretty close to this one. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, I read, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Amen. Let's keep going to the 15. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day, and God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven, to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Amen. So we see here that there is vegetation, right? Seeds, vegetables. Who likes salads? With chicken in it. You know, with chicken in it. A Caesar salad, romaine. Which one? Which one is your preference? Huh? Egg salad? African salad. Hey, my sister. <laughs> Right? Croutons sometimes. I like salads too. You see that those, these salads came before something though. Did you guys ca catch something? Did you notice something? What did you guys notice? From the 11 to the 15. If you want, you can peek all the way through the 19 as well. The vegetation came before the sunlight. Now, isn't that weird? How do vegetables, how do plants grow without sun? So then that means that there's got to be something else, right? And we find that something else in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. And this is the New Testament. John is one of the Gospels written by good old John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Verse 1 to 5. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. So we've noticed something here, right? These plants are, are still going on, and then after that, the seeds, after that, the sun and the moon come out, right? Mm -hmm. So anyone who's at John 1, 1 to 5 wants to read that? Sure, go ahead. 
Thank you. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Thank you. John has such a beautiful style of speech. Um, it's very interesting. I feel like he could write any poetry that he would, would desire to. But who is this light that we speak of? Who is this light that John is talking about? The Son of Jesus. Amen. So if Jesus is the light, earlier, the sun came afterwards, but the plants were still doing fine. Now something's going to happen to the sun and the moon. And we find that in Revelation 22 to 5. Revelation 22 verse 5. I'll read it just for the sake of time. It tells us, And night will be no more. This is the last chapter of the Bible. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. So the sun and the moon are going to go away. What we need to realize is that those things are too are temporary. They were never holding up the vegetables. They were never holding up the plants. The same way they were never holding us up. The same way the things that we want and we desire within this world are never holding us up. But all those things are merely temporary. Hope I've been able to show you that Jesus has always been there from the beginning and he'll always be there to the end. And he never had a beginning and he never had an end. So he is the constant. He's the reason why these plants remain. He's the reason why we remain. So that means that Jesus has always been there and that means that his constant number is going to be one. Can we give him a denominator of one? So if our source is Jesus, and we're the numerator. One divided by one gives us one. And that never goes down. So I want you guys to see that, that all I'm trying to say is that when our ultimate joy is God, our happiness level never goes away because God is eternal. Note that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we are satisfied in God, something amazing happens. Is that we can't help but talk about him with the world. We can't help it. We just can't. Even, even the temporary things that we take pleasure in. Right? And these, these are not just, just bad things, good things as well. The temporary things we take pleasure in cannot shut us down completely when they get dissolved. I just went to a funeral just some days back, and we went to the Thanksgiving service. And um, the husband, he had, he, had, he had buried his wife just 24 hours before. And this man, I tell you, he was breaking it down at church the following day, you will look at that man and be like, wow, how do you do this? How are you doing this right now? Because he understood something long, long, long ago that his wife is going to go someday. But Jesus is his constant. So because of that, he's able to rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that he's going to see her someday. Someone did something really cool but they only get two verses. I want to show these verses to you guys just so you can kind of see how we, should, how, how we can respond and some of the things that we can take from her. This woman is by the name of Anna. Anybody know Anna? She gets a very, very, very short, short, short verse. We go over to Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 37. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 37. 
If you're there, say amen. If you need more time, say hold up. Amen. Who would like to read that for us? Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 37. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Amen. Amen. God bless you. So let's add some historical context to this. Right? Back in the day, they used to get married pretty early. So let's assume, let's give that Anna, maybe she got married at latest 16 years old. Okay, is that fair? Everybody agree? Hmm? You want to give her 20? <laughs> Earlier than that? <laughs> let's just say 16 to make the numbers simple. So 16 plus 7 gets us to 20, 23, right? So at 23 years old, she becomes a widow. She stayed in the house of the Lord all the way to 84. How many years is that? 60, 61 years, nearly, as a widow. And each and every single day, the word of the Lord tells us that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. How is this possible? This is nonsense to the world. Right? How is it possible that one can lose someone, lose something that is so near and dear to them and be in the house of the Lord day and night for the next 60 years? Maybe, they, maybe she still had expectations of having something. But, they, but those expectations paled in comparison to what she truly desired, which was God. And since God was her constant, she was able to do this. And I think that's what is so beautiful about Anna in these passages here, these short passages. I wish we had more of her story. So the one reason, reason one that we've gone through so far, is that God is not our constant, God is not our source. And reason number two, why we find it difficult to wait, is because we don't know what to do when we're waiting. Right? Like you had asked earlier, we don't know what to do when we're waiting. Idle hands make for the devil's playground. Anybody's heard that, those phrases before? If you're bored, fix it, man. Let's do something about it. Idle hands make for the devil's playground. Luckily, Anna gives us some solutions to this. Right? Some practical solutions that I want to leave with you guys to take as to what to do while you're waiting. The first one that we see from Anna is when waiting on God to renew your strength, do as a waiter and a waiter waitress does. Wait. You are a waiter or a waitress. And what do they do? They serve. So step number one, solution number one, serve. Consider your gifts. Consider your gifts and what you're using them to do. Each and every single one of you have been gifted in so many ways. To give to the body of Christ, give back to the world, to bring draw, draw people closer to God. But unfortunately, many of times we're just sitting there, we're sitting on our gifts, not using it one bit. God has blessed you so much and put so much in each and every single one of you guys. Go out into the world and share that with the world. Be in the church, be with the body of Christ and share that with the body of Christ. Service is so important. We could spend a whole day time on that, but that's not what we're going to do today. But that's step number one. You're trying to get busy. Do as a waiter or waitress does and serve. And step two, solution two which is a little counterintuitive to the first one. I'm, I'm telling you, get very busy and serve, right? My solution two is to rest in God. Resting in God is very, very important. And what I mean by resting in God, that essentially means read the word, spend time in prayer alone with God. Lord, the deep things of Christ are spiritually discerned. 
You can't teach those things necessarily, right? Maybe like on a one-on-one somebody and you're chatting back and forth, iron sharpening iron. But even with that, you're still bringing in something that the Holy Spirit taught you. You need no one to teach you but the Holy Spirit. He is the greatest teacher. So read your word. Spend that time in prayer alone with God. In your prayer closet, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And talk to God. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Talk to God just like I'm talking to you guys right now. Love the primary purpose of prayer is not to make God will what we want. I want us to get that peace and maybe sometime we'll spend some more time on prayer. But the primary purpose in prayer is not to make God will what we want, but rather the primary purpose of prayer. I feel like I'm saying Peter Piper picked a pair of pickles. <laughs> Let me stop. So the primary purpose of prayer is to teach us to want what God wills. To teach us to want what God wills for your life. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not going to taste good if you don't want that thing. Right? So then when we come to Christ, we've been eating all this other stuff, and now God is like, oh, you got to eat some salads. It's like, no, where's my tacos and my, you know, enchiladas and my quesadillas? God is like, no, you got to get that, got to get that away. So you have to taste and see that these new things are good. So prayer helps us do that. Prayer helps us align ourselves with the will of God for our lives. It also helps us to keep our minds on things above. This part is very, very key. There's a reason why it says to put on the helmet of salvation. (laughs) Because your mind is probably a battlefield and that's usually where the battle starts. It's often not always somebody coming at you and just, you know, flipping you off, you know, crossing you sideways. No. It's usually yourself and in your mind. And prayer helps block that. Prayer helps us keep our mind on things above. Because if Satan is going to get you, it usually starts here. Right? And try to get you to get yourself. That's cheaper, right? That's expensive. So focus your prayers on praise and thanksgiving. Confession, intercession, deliverance, warfare, and petition. But if you didn't hear anything on any of those things I just said, the one that I definitely want you to get is praise and thanksgiving. If anything, let praise and thanksgiving be like 99% of whatever you're praying. Petition is important too. I feel like sometimes we like to jump right there. But praise and thanksgiving, those are weapons. Song is a weapon. There's a reason why God loved David so much. That man didn't mind breaking out in a song anytime. It was like high school musical. Let me stop. Anyway, so. (laughs) And the the crazy thing that I want to add on this is that the devil is so cunning, very, very smart, that he defeats your prayers. He defeats your prayers by making sure that they never happen to begin with. And he doesn't do that with evil things. One people are gonna, if something evil is happening, you're, you're definitely gonna pray, right? Something bad is happening. Oh, that's, that's when we wanna pray. And he will do that with perfectly good things. Maybe you set aside time that I'm gonna pray at seven o'clock tonight. And then 6.59 hits and your best friend calls you. Oh, let me, let me get this call real quick. And then the next thing you know, three hours later at 10 p.m., all right, let me, let me go to sleep. Gotta wake up in the morning. It was a perfectly fine thing. There's nothing wrong with you talking to your friend. But the goal that you set to pray never happened. Right? So Satan doesn't defeat us, doesn't defeat our prayer life with evil things, but with perfectly good things. You know? Maybe I set aside some time. I was like, no, let me go get some food. You know, it's... So it's very, very important. Like when you're about to pray, that's when things get busy, right? Anybody notice that? That, that happens to you too? Do you remember everything you were 
You remember everything you were supposed to do. You write it all down, you say it all. Um, so Anna did, Anna died to herself, like we were talking about earlier, right? She died to self and she picked up her cross and she made God's glory known through her service. Which is why I wish I knew her story even more. But the words is, is sufficient. The purpose of all the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit dispenses, as he wills, is love. I think you guys kind of went through this in the beginning, in one week when I wasn't here, talked about love and what the purpose of all of that was. Um, if we don't have love for people, there's no point of any of these gifts. There's absolutely no point. And Paul says it all in Corinthians, right? But without... The, the level of degree of love is based on faith. Right? The level of degree of love is based on faith. Without that faith, we cannot wait. If you don't have faith, you can't wait. I think in some versions it says those who hope in the Lord. Right? And faith is basically hoping in what you don't see. Right? And Paul then tells us, for who hopes in the Lord? Who, who hopes for what he sees? That's not faith. But we hope for what we don't see in Christ. So waiting requires faith too. That's that point three. So waiting requires that faith as well. If we cannot wait, we cannot mount up as eagles and renew our strength in the Lord. If we cannot renew our strength in the Lord, how can we love others? Think about it, guys. If you are spiritually empty, how can you pour into somebody else? And that's why I mentioned that rest peace and why I think that's so important because if you have nothing to give, you can't give anything. So you got to get to a place where God will pour into you while you're alone with God. It's okay to say I can't be here with you guys right now because I got to go spend time with my Jesus. It's okay. Because that's critical. If you can't do that peace, you'll eventually burn out. I remember there was a time where I just, I was like, let me just take some time and, all right, some time off, right? <laughs> Alice knows all about this. Take some time off, because I was burnt out. <laughs> I didn't take my own advice. I was burnt out. Um, and then God does a funny thing. So when you, do, when you take some time and you spend with him and you're resting, don't fall too much in love with that either. Get back out there as well. Because then he's going to hit you with things like John 21 while you're sitting there just after church and you left early. One day I left early. I left the kids that I teach usually. And then God hits me with a John 21. And he says, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then, then, then feed my sheep. I say, Lord, I left your sheep at the church. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My bad. It's like, I guess I have fallen in love too much with the rest. So know to have a good balance, right? Between the rest and the work. Right? Don't forget the sheep. We're all called to serve one another. Amen? So the point that I was making with the point three was that faith must be built upon. Right? Waiting requires faith. If we don't have faith, we simply cannot display God's love as he wills. Peter sheds light on how to build on that faith. If you're asking, how do I build on that faith? Peter does a wonderful job. And he takes us to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. And I'll read this just for the sake of time. Um, it says that, for this very reason. Oh, does anybody have a piece of paper? I might not be able to draw this one. So I just want everybody, okay. Everybody pull out a piece of paper, write it down. How we're going to go about this, okay? But the verses say, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection 
with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing, that they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to draw a circle. We're going to make concentric circles. In the inner circle, put faith. And then draw a circle around that circle. Leave some space so you can write some words there. In that second circle, put virtue. Then put another circle around that. Put knowledge. You want to make it? <laughs> sure, you can make one and then we'll... I'll do one too. So you guys get the point, right? We're going to make one that says faith. And then we're going to add on to that with virtue. My handwriting is also the worst, guys. I'm sorry. With virtue, and then knowledge. And then make another one that's self-control. Highlight that one. We're going to spend some time there. Self-control. And then steadfastness. And then godliness. And make another circle for brotherly affection. And then the last circle that I want us to make is one for love. Mine does not look like a circle at all. So you guys don't even see this. Hey, like an egg? You want to show it to the people? I can't write very well. This is my egg here. So we started here, right? Faith. Then we went to virtue. And said, supplement that virtue with knowledge. And that knowledge with self-control. And that self-control with steadfastness and godliness, brotherly affection. All that's love. How do we get to love? We get to love from faith. If this is weak, if this is absent, you can't ever love anybody else in the way that God wants you to love them. This agape love that God desires of us to do, it's, you see there that it's difficult, right? There are a lot of things that need to be in place. And the two things that I want us to talk about that need to be in place, this self-control, this knowledge. Knowledge is a beautiful thing. Oh, you can set it down. Thank you. Yeah. You like holding? <laughs> knowledge is a, is a wonderful thing. But the dangerous thing about knowledge is that at times it can get us puffed up. We can be puffed up in pride. That I know so many things about Jesus. I know the whole Bible. I read it all. I know the lost sea scrolls, the dead sea scrolls. I read it all front to, front, front to back. But your, your knowledge has no Jesus in it. What's the point? And when that knowledge is not contained in the proper way in God... What's the point? That's why I think self-control is probably one of the most important ones here. We can spend a day on all of this, all the different ones, but that self-control piece is where I want us to stay. And there's a verse that comes to mind with this, and this is our last verse, which is in Jeremiah 7. Verse 8 to 10. Jeremiah 7, verse 8 to 10. And it says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered only to go on doing these abominations. Amen. Amen. If we don't have self-control, that's exactly what we're going to do in Jeremiah 7, 8 to 10. And that will keep us from loving other people. That will keep us from strengthening and supplementing faith. And when we don't have that faith, we lose that vision. Forget spiritual gifts if you have no faith. 
Just let it be. And if you want the gift just for the gift, let it be. But want God for God. And see how amazing God will then throw those things at you. Your mind will be blown by what God will throw at you. When you commit yourself to serve the Lord with all your heart and all your soul, the type of gift that He's going to give you is not even going to be the one that you're thinking about. But it's going to be the one to service the people of God in the way and the capacities that He has created you. This self-control piece, I feel like this is the biggest stumbling block for many of us. It certainly was for me. All these things here, God demands holiness. God demands holiness. He does not dwell in sin. Hmm? God demands holiness. And he does not dwell with sin. He does not dwell with our sinful nature. These verses right here hit so hard because they're like, man, we're playing God. We're playing God. We're trying to, but God is not to be mocked. For he knows. And I think when I first came across this, I was like, man, I was like that woman at the well, that woman that met Jesus at the well, and she says, Let me come see this man who told me all that I ever was. Could this be the Christ? Everything that I ever was, everything that I ever knew, this man has revealed it to me. He, he said, who is your husband? I said, I, I got one husband. He's like, no, 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 you have many. You have many. And she's astonished, right? It reveals to her that sin that is about her. When pride is in our lives and we don't see that sin that is with us, how can we ever truly come to Christ? I, I'm, I'm surprised that God has kept me for this long in my life for all that I've done. For all that I've done. And that brings me to the last reason about waiting in that when we're waiting for something from God and I tell God this all the time, I said, you know, you waited for me so long. So long, so, so, so long. There's a whole verse about it's good to, to know the Lord in your time of your youth. That just was not my life. And that was not my story. Oh, I'm so, oh, thank you. I'm still a youth, guys. That's what I've been told. But that was not my life. But God being so good waited. So then I look to God and I say, God, anything that I've, I've, got, I've got to give you at least 20 years. Right? I got to give God at least 20 years before I get anything because that's the only time we're on the same page. Because if God waited that long, surely, surely, surely me in my life, I owe him at least that much time. Does that make sense? Because if we're talking sinners, man, that was one of the biggest ones. Am I sure? To the point where people would say, you know, you got your PhD, PhD in sin. Long before you get a high school diploma. You played games so much with God's grace. Maybe partially because I didn't understand it, but played games so much with God's grace. Because I knew for a fact that when I sinned, all I had to do was just go to God and ask for forgiveness and he was obligated to forgive me. Oh, I, I was a smart Christian. I was smart, you know. I did my weekly church attendance, learned how to be really holy, learned how to do my sin Monday through Saturday, right? And then put on my little mask for y'all on Sunday. <laughs> oh, wow. Praise be to God for all that he's done to pick up somebody like myself. Like I said, I played games with God's grace. But he who was smarter than me, who was greater, knew why he told me to flee from sin. See, I, I miscalculated the, the true cost, the true cost of sin. 
And what didn't cost me my life, cost me dearly in other forms of consequence. As I eventually learned that God's grace to forgive sin, which is there, does not absolve me from the consequences. And the biggest consequences of sin are separation from God and the after effects that the sin brings when you finally decide to give yourself wholly to God. It's so crazy how that's when that happens. That while you live in your life in sin and you're spending time there, there's no problem. The enemy has no problem with you. It's like Prison Break. Anybody ever watch that show? Were there any chases in season one? Not really till the end, right? So they broke out that mug, mm, then it was everything broke loose. Beloved, that's the life of the believer when we finally give ourselves to Jesus Christ. If you're not being chased by the devil, there's a problem. Usually means he already has you. Who chases what he already has? Let's think about it. <laughs> our minds and our hearts are not designated, are not designed to handle the psychological, the physiological, and the emotional consequences that our sin brings. And then without God being so gracious to us that that consequence just leads us right back to our sins. You eventually give up and it becomes habitual. Eventually you find a way to excuse it. And the worst thing that a believer can do is believe that he or she is walking with God when all this time in truth God left that person a long time ago. If Samson knew that God left him a long time ago, he would have not gone to battle. He would have been like, oh, this one that I have to run. <laughs> this one is not for me. Because God, I said, does not tolerate our sins. The worst thing that a believer can do is that the best way to beat sin is to, is to love the one you're sinning against more than your love for the sin itself. Because when you truly love somebody, you, you're going to eliminate everything. Any and everything that could jeopardize that relationship. Right? So when we think about God in that way, that God, our love for you is much greater than our love for our sin, our love for the things that we crave. That is something that I hope will be helpful as you guys move in your walk with the Lord. That you need not wallow in your sin, you need not be in guilt. That expiation, if I didn't believe in the expiation, how would I be able to stand before you today? It is only by God's grace that I'm able to do so. So, God bless each and every single one of you guys. Um, I see if there's any, any questions that anybody has before we close in prayer, we continue with today.